Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and coatings industry. My guest today is Dave Cooper from Dave Cooper Live. Dave, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> so I was I was looking through your background and I noticed you started out as a, a combat medic yep. and then you kind of moved into the construction side. How, how did that happen? <laughs> Growing up as a kid, right? I wasn't really college bound. In fact, in fact, the judge told me I better get on the bus. You know, one of, one of those stories getting out of high school. And I ended up joining the military. But as a kid, I was framing houses, you know, in my summers and in weekends to earn money. And I, I swore to myself that I would never be in construction ever once I left. At the age of 17 years old, waking up at 3.30 in the morning to go in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, of all places, in the middle of November and December, it's not the warmest environment. But yeah, so I ended up uh, joining the military straight out of straight out of high school, and I qualified to be a medic and ended up becoming a combat medic. Wow, what was your experience like there? I think, like most soldiers, I had my uh, greatest times and my worst times, and I think it, it kind of just sums it up, you know. And it's funny, even my worst moments now looking back are some of my greatest memories. Mm. Wow. And, and then you went into sort of the private sector with Johnson Johnson. How's that? Yeah, I did. So when I, when I got out of the military, which I, I spent 10 years, I ended up getting a job with Johnson & Johnson training neuro-orthopedic spine surgeons and spinal implant techniques. So what does that mean? I am not a neurosurgeon. I'm not a doctor. But, you know, they're still products and they have products to push. And being a, a trauma medic that I was, I was fortunate enough to get the position. So I was running cadaver labs and I was also in the operating room, you know, pretty much every day helping to guide the surgeons on the proper techniques to use when using our product because there's thousands of pieces in them. So I, I guess that sort of guiding surgeons and the accuracy required to do that, procedures, yeah. that must have helped you out once you sort of got back into the construction side. Yeah, I think it all does, right? The military and the attention to detail. Definitely doing the spinal implants. There's, there's no takeovers in that world either. So yeah, I think most of it really, it really all came together because of it, because you get it so ingrained into you to, there's, there's a way to do it. You can be very accurately, you know, get it done very accurately and nobody either dies either, whether it's in the military or in, or in surgery. Yeah. And so did you build out your company right away or did you work for someone else? I wasn't clear on sort of where you went from there. Yeah, the transition. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple of things that happened. Being a medic, I was living in Jersey City and then September 11th happened. Right. And when I was working for J&J, that's where I was living, right across the Hudson River. The World Trade Centers got hit and I could literally see it from, from where I was at. Long story short, I went down to the river with my aid bags. I still had it from the service. And I ended up getting on a fireboat, which took me across the river between the first and second tower falling down. And it was kind of at that moment where I got on the boat going across and you're looking up where everybody's hundreds of thousands are leaving. And somehow I, I found myself going in the opposite direction when I was perfectly safe at home. And 
Yeah. So I did September 11th and I realized at that moment, you know, over those couple of days when I, I just, I wasn't happy doing what I was doing, you know, doing the spinal implants and, you know, at a very high level consultancy type environment, just, just wasn't fulfilling for me. And, you know, the fact of the matter is if you're not a neurosurgeon or a orthopedic surgeon, you know, you're still treated as if you're not that, right? So yeah, that, I started buying properties and flipping houses and doing things of that nature. And then finally, I ended up getting a spec piece of property to build my first spec home. And then the guy next to me, Ron Seascholtz, built the first modular home I've ever seen in my life. His people were moving in. I was still trying to get my sheetrock done. They had grass growing. I was just selling my house. Right. And I, and I said, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> uh, and that was, that was my first taste of modular, you know, 2000, 2001, you know, and, and the reality of it was, and it was funny that his wife grew up across the street from my dad in Johnstown, Pennsylvania. Oh, so wow. we ended up finding that connection. I'm like, you know, my dad, and I ended up working for him for six months for free. I was still doing my Johnson and Johnson, but I knew I wanted to leave. Uh, and that's, that's how I learned modular. Wow. So, okay. That, that's, that's very awesome. I mean, I'm assuming at the time that you were doing it, it was quite uncommon for that to occur. Oh, we, we were definitely the tail on the donkey for sure. <laughs> it, it was, it was very uncommon. It was very uncommon. Even in new England, New Jersey at the time, there was quite a bit of modular already happening just because of the cost of labor in this part of the world. Right. But yeah, it's still, we still had to spend a lot of time educating the consumer and showing them our product to get them to really believe in what we were doing. Yeah. So what are the, the common objections or hurdles that you've, you've heard over the years? Yeah. Well, they're prefab. They're like trailer park homes. It's, you know, well, I can't have the same thing I can have with a site built home. They're boxy, you know, you name it. So that th those are pretty much most of the reasons. Oh, or it won't appraise right. Does it appraise the same as a regular site built home? Well, what will my neighbors think? You know, those types of things when we first started. Mm. And then I guess it changed over the years. What, what really sort of drove that, that change, you think? Well, you know, the first crash in 08, when the market really fell out, a lot of people lost their businesses, their jobs in construction. The construction industry lost so many people, so many workers, laborers, skilled labor. That's when it started really to change a little bit because the industry itself was, start, was forced to start looking at different ways. And that's really when the perception started changing. So more and more builders were starting to use offsite construction as a solution, modular, volumetric, panels, SIPs. And I think that was kind of the first wave of change as far as the consumer's mindset was it, it started right around that time, probably 2010, 2012 is when it really started changing and people were coming in asking for it. Mm. So from an operation standpoint and running one of those businesses, how was it done before and how has it changed? You know, all right. So that's the funny part. It hasn't changed a whole lot yet. And this is part of the industry's problem. And if I, if I could pull out my soapbox, I would, but I'm not <laughs> going to. You know, the reality of it is this. Right now, we're still building indoors. There's very little automation in most manufacturing facilities. However, there are hundreds of manufacturing facilities and maybe you know, hundreds elaborating a little much, but there's a lot of them coming up across the country 
that are becoming more automated, that are taking a look at how Europe's, you know, doing it, Limbax and so forth. So I think that it's changing on that front. But as we bring more technology into the industry and more automation into the industry, it's it's going to blow up. And I think, you know, even faster than what it is now. Mm, yeah. So I guess, where do you think the change needs to come from? Is it the sort of the market side education or is it the demand there and sort of the prefab companies that are kind of dragging their feet because they're worried about sort of the throughput and the long-term investment? All right. So there's, there's a couple of things uh, on this topic. So one, I think our industry is very fragmented. So, you know, you got modular building Institute, you got modular builder, home builders association, then you got your component organizations. Then you have your glue lamb, micro lamb, Panelize, SIPs. We have all these organizations that believe in offsite and a better way of building. So one, I think what has to happen is I think our industry needs to come together holistically and agree that, hey, listen, you know, neither one of us by itself, volumetric panel SIP has the perfect solution, right? But we all have the right idea of doing it in a better way, a cleaner way, better for our environment, healthier for the occupants. And I think once our industry actually comes together and pulls their resources together, we have more marketing money, you have more lobbying power, you have more power of pushing for codes that are beneficial to offsite construction for other builders. So I think from, from that standpoint, I think our biggest holdback right now is the industry ourself. And I think once that starts coming together, the technology's there. They're using it everywhere, right? And in different formats. I think it'll, I think everybody will start to embrace it more. And I think when everybody gets out of their own way and we say, Hey, let's work together. We're going to go further faster. Mm, Okay. So let's say a a building materials manufacturer is not a part of supplying into this sort of industry. Like what, what do they need to know in terms of getting involved and being, being included in terms of these homes and other things that are being built? So that's a great question. As this shift is happening, you know, it's a big concern for a lot of suppliers right now. I'm I'm speaking to so many of them because when the shift does happen to offsite and it does take up market share, that limits the supply chain on who's building the product. So the education needs to begin, you know, suppliers, manufacturers of products, you got to get involved. It is like anything else. You know, if you stand on the sidelines watching, you're going to get passed up. The other side of it, and I use this example quite often, I think suppliers are going to be part of what drives the change. And a simple example of that would be plywood, right? Or, or sheetrock made by four by eight sheets, four by 10 sheets, so people can hold it and carry it. But in a manufacturing environment, you could have, you could have 20 by 40 sheets. You use less material now. You have less two by fours. You have less shear walls, right? Seams and all that. So there's all these benefits. And I think once the supply chain starts talking with the manufacturers, you take the raw materials, you take the manufacturers of those raw materials to make the product with the end you, you know, user of the manufacturing facility, I think the supply chain may actually be the one that brings the most innovation to how we build. Mm. Okay. So, so for someone that's not involved or an organization that's not involved, where would they start? Would they join associations? They could watch your, your content, they could. but what else should they be doing to understand this better? Yeah, well, I think 
again, watching, watching our contents. One of the things, you know, our show is not paid for, right? I mean, there it's invite only, and we're trying to get innovators and some of the best speakers from around the world. And I think what we're trying to do on the show, and I'm not saying this for self-promotion is we're trying to bring everybody together. So we have concrete SIPs manufacturers, we have panelized, we have 3d printing, you know, manufacturers, we're trying to bring everybody together. So in like in your instance, suppliers can take a look at this holistically and start making decisions and start collaborating with these manufacturers and connect them together. Because I think a lot of them just don't know where to start. Like you're saying, you can go out and join all the separate organizations. So that's what I was talking about earlier. It's fragmented. You're going to get a piece of that puzzle, or you can get involved in the conversation such as you're creating or, you know, other people that are out there trying to force can't say force, but create change or force the industry to look at itself and say, hey, listen, building the same way we did 100 years ago does not make any sense. In fact, it's, it's, it's horrible that we even think that way. So, and that's kind of what we're trying to do. And you're right. The suppliers need to start getting involved in the conversation. And I think they'll be surprised on what comes out of it because everybody's yeah. hungry for more, more stuff. Yeah. So, so going back to your content, you've been doing live for a while. And I think you do it six days a week. I think I post a few a week and it's a lot of work. I mean, what, what made you decide to do it that, that way? Because yeah. not many people were doing live just as aggressively as you have. Yeah. So what sort of drove you to do that? Yeah, so maybe I'll start with how I ended up getting into doing video anyhow. Because sure. I, I was building modular custom homes, right? So... One day I walk into my office and, and our social media person's on the phone and, and one of, the, one of my um, the members of our team come over and said, Dave, hey, we have Angel on the phone. Can you, can you come sit with us and talk? You know? I said, okay. So I went in, I sit down and Angel's sitting there and she leans into the screen. She goes, hey, Dave. I said, hey, Angel. She goes, I need you to do something. I said, okay. She goes, I need you to start doing videos of your homes. I said, okay, we can hire somebody to do that. You know, and that's how it ended up started. She goes, no, I need you to do it. And I need you to go out there and do it selfie style, walking through, you know, talking about how great the product was. Angel's very beyond her. Like, if you think about it now, she was beyond her time when she said it, because this is only going back six, seven, eight years ago. Yeah, yeah. But long story short, you know, after the meeting, I got up and she goes, oh, one more thing. I said, what? She goes, you have to go live. I said, What? <laughs> You know, and you know how hard it can be, right? I paced around in in one of our homes we were building for a customer for hours, hours before I'd hit that live button, waiting for everybody to leave, you know, all the trays. I was sweaty. I was nervous. But that's kind of what started the journey. And when I realized the power of video, that's kind of what amazed me. Because about six months into doing this a couple of times a week regularly, just talking about our product, people started walking through our front door and they'd see me Hey, you're the guy on YouTube. My wife has watched all your channel, you know, all your programs. She loves that white house with the white subway tile. Dot, dot. All of a sudden people were selling me my product. But at the same time, I'm sitting there going, I don't know you. This is weird. <laughs> right. But I guess that that's how it all started. And then to get to where we are today, where I'm doing it full time, my, my partner and wife, Jennifer, said, you know, hey, when you go to the next event, the Housing Innovation Alliance event years ago, she said, why don't you interview some people? Because we were just so passionate about sharing what we're doing. And I did it. 
And then it kind of, it just blew up from there with trade shows. And, you know, it became kind of a obsessive hobby for me to do it in some ways, because I was having fun with it. But I also found it was a great way for me to connect with people. Yeah. And I felt, you know, people really wanted to tell their story. And then fast forward to COVID, you know, everybody's locked down. And we were, we just started doing a live stream. We, we got the beta LinkedIn live, which a lot of people don't have. It's not out to everybody. Yeah. And I just publicly said on live, we're going to stream six days a week. And I, I think my, I think Jennifer almost hit the floor, <laughs> but um, it's been, it's been a blessing for us. I mean, it really has. And I think that's how it all came to be, I guess, long story short. <laughs> so here we are six days a week, five days a week. We, we, we try and do as many interviews as we can. Sometimes it's like herding cats, trying to get people to stick to a schedule and stuff, but you just got to roll with the punches. It is what it is. Yeah. So you're a process guy, obviously. So how does that look like for you? Like you have a show, it's a certain time of day, every single day. And what, what sort of goes into all that, the scheduling, the, yeah. the repurposing the content, how, how does that all fit together? Cause you're on different locations. Like, you know, it's, it's enough work to just do it every day sitting at a desk, but you're yeah. sitting here, you're inside a facility. I'm thinking, okay, okay, how are you securing internet connections and how are you keeping that stable? Right. Like, uh, walk me through a yeah, typical week. Yeah, so, in, you know, in the office makes it much easier. Everything's set up, just turn on the lights, you know, and, and the camera and, and go live. But the reality of it is, so before the show and after the show, we're typically writing up, you know, what the show's about. We're repurposing content, like you said, taking micro clips of the hour long shows. We have a, you know, an editing person that helps us, you know, get all the editing stuff pulled together for that. But then when we're not doing that, we, we have interviews every day off of the show, you know, so we make sure when we talk to somebody that, you know, it's still show business to some extent, you know, we don't want the show to be uncomfortable for people. So just like you and I are talking now, we'll get on. Does it make right? Does it make sense? Is it a fit for the show? Are you comfortable with it? Because sometimes people go live on camera and the deer in the headlights happens. And, <laughs> you know, you don't want that to happen either. So, but yeah, I mean, that's every day for us. And then when we're in the field, we still do the one o'clock show, the normal show. But like you see, we'll be up in uh, New York with Bensonwood on the first and second. We'll be live streaming from one of their panelized home sets up there. We've invested in a, a 4K, it's high definition. I'm not streaming in 4K, but it, it takes cellular signals. So I have four wireless cards from different AT&T, Verizon, Mint, you know, and it bonds it to one signal. Oh, wow. So that gives us that internet connection to one signal. Now it's not an internet connection where I can hop on my computer and use it. It only lets me send data from like a camera and upload it or upload it through kind of an exchange card type thing. I wish it'd let me do it the other way with <laughs> just logging onto my computer, but it doesn't. So it's similar. If they think, if you think about what they do at sporting events and they're down on the field with their cameras and they're not wired to anything, it's kind of the same, same concept. Nice. So, but yeah. And it adds a whole nother environment because it's not all in front of me. So, and listen, I tell everybody, I said it today, even like when you go live, if it can go wrong, it's gonna, it's just, <laughs> it's just the way it is. <laughs> tell me a funny story. Like, tell me a funny live story. Uh, well, you know, I don't know. Well, I, did you see my set in Washington, DC? We were down there doing uh, with the modular mobilization coalition. Uh, so, I, I, I don't think I've seen that one. T tell me about it. We're, we're live on low. I'm live on location. Jennifer's back here in the office. 
this is happening. We have the chair, we have the immediate past chairman of the National Association of Home Builders on Greg Ugaldi. Yeah. This is the guy that updates the president and Ben Carson, yeah. regardless of what you like about politics. It's sure. he's still the guy that gets to go do it, right? So he's on the show. And I'm live on location in downtown Washington, DC. Now, on the sad side of that, there's a big homeless problem down there. Yeah. But on the other side of it, it was it was an infill lot. There was no parking. So you had major traffic on this side, major traffic on this side, and it was on a peninsula. So I'm streaming, joining the conversation. And, and then, so now I have all these hecklers with me. Oh, yeah. You ever watch the news shows and people are jumping behind them and doing this? Right. So that's, that's happening to me live on the show, you know, and I'm turning and then they start getting mad. Oh, we can't be on your show and give me a hard time. And I finally said, all right, wait, just, you know, I flipped the screen back to Greg and I said, guys, give me a minute and I'll let you dance. You know, so that was kind of funny, you know, because I'm, I'm trying to manage what's happening on the show. But at the same time, I didn't know if I was making these people mad at me or not mad, you know, because I'm not trying to ignore them. But I think that they didn't. I don't think they knew we were alive. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just this guy that's not getting I'm, I'm too good for them, I think, in their mind. So eventually I walked over and I said, we're live, you know, because I was off camera for a few minutes. <laughs> so that that's probably my funniest story of of that. The other ones aren't funny. The, the other ones where you think you go live and you can't get a signal out, th- oh. it happens. Yeah, definitely. What's the future hold for you? Yeah, I think for us, we're going to continue doing what we're doing. The goal right now, and it's more than a goal, it's, it's almost set in stone 100%. Starting February 1st, we're going to start traveling the country. We sold, we're selling everything. Wow. And we are literally taking the show on the road. So we've been talking with sponsors that want to sponsor this and make inroads at the factories. And we're very careful on who we get. You know, we don't want to get in bed with the devil. It has to be somebody that no factory is going to say, hey, I don't need you spying on our stuff, you know, because this is a very, very much an editorial thing that we do. We don't discriminate. We just we're just telling your story and letting people take a look. So, yeah, we're going to do an East Coast, a Midwest and a West Coast tour from February through September. The whole family's gone. I have three kids. The kids are going to their school shut down again because of COVID. So we say, you know, what? this is the perfect time to teach them about business and what we do. We're homeschooling them anyhow. We have good internet connection. We can do that. So yeah, we're going to take the show on the road and we're going to we're going to bring all the innovation, all the live streaming, all the trade show stuff that you can't see now to everybody else out there. And we're going to keep doing our regular show as well. Wonderful. I love I love the fact that you're going all in. You know, now's the time, right? I've believed in this industry for 20 years. And finally, some of the biggest CEOs and home builders in the country you know, are, are asking questions. Before, I couldn't get the time of day from some of these people. Like they were just, you know, ah, it's a modular guy, right? So yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think it's our time to really do what's right for the building industry. And it's just, it's a healthier way to build, you know? And I'm, the bottom line is I'm passionate about it and I love it. Wonderful. Is there anything that I should ask you? No, I mean, I think you've, I think you've done a great job. You know, I really do. I think that it's all about, being better. And I think if we can all work together and be better, just like with you're doing with your podcast and others are doing with their podcasts out there and you know what we do on our show, I think it's time for us all to come together. I think it's time to, you know, bring our resources together so we can, you know, meet the needs of the housing crisis we're in. So we can make houses affordable, right? And think about it. Most people, you can make a hundred thousand dollars and not afford to buy a house, right? That's insane. Totally. Uh, you know, so I think we hit it all. I think it's all about just let's talk, let's let's collaborate and 
anybody wants to reach out to me or you or anybody else, you know, do it. I'll, I'll share whatever I have. Wonderful. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you uh, sharing your knowledge. Hey, thank you for having me on. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone, anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.